This is a Fubar Radio podcast. For more information, go to foobarradio.com. You're listening to Femi on Fubar Radio. The eyes to the right, 202. The nose to the left, 432. Wow. The results of tonight's vote is the greatest defeat for a government since the 1920s in this House. This is a catastrophic defeat for this government. After two years of failed negotiations, the House of Commons has delivered its verdict on her Brexit deal, and that verdict is absolutely decisive. First, we need to confirm whether this government still enjoys the confidence of the House. I believe that it does, but given the scale and importance of tonight's vote, it's right that others have the chance to test that question if they wish to do so. I therefore, Mr Speaker, inform you I have now tabled a motion of no confidence in this government. The eyes to the right, 306. The nose to the left, 325. The House has put its confidence in this government. I stand ready, I stand ready to work with any member of this House to deliver on Brexit and ensure that this House retains the confidence of the British people. Before there can be any positive discussions about the way forward, the government... The government must remove, clearly, once and for all, the prospect of the catastrophe of a no-deal Brexit in the EU and all the chaos that would come as a result of that. Hi, it's Femi from Our Future, Our Choice, the Youth Movement for a People's Vote. I'm here with Alex Andrew. Uh, welcome, Andrew. Thank you. <laughs> uh, sorry, Alex, Alex, Alex. Alex, Alex. Uh, yes. and, and am I pronouncing that right, Andrew? Andreu. Andreu, Andreu. Yeah. Kali, no, Kalimera. 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 Yes. Although, actually, it's, af- it's, not, it's afternoon. What's, what's afternoon no, no, in English? Kalimera goes all day for us. It means basically good day, so you can use it the whole day through. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so this has been an interesting week. Um, it? <laughs> yeah. I think we have to slow this one down because it's a lot of bullshit in politics. And it's a lot of games, and it's been, it's about one of the most serious issues of our entire lifetimes. And we've just seen political uh, point scoring back and forth over something that needs to get sorted out and needs to get sorted out fast. Yeah. All right. So let's run it through. In 2016, we voted to leave the EU by a margin of, well, 52%. Yeah. Uh, after that, one of the main reasons why people voted for Brexit was, well, one of the main objectives was to have more control over the country. Yes. Which okay. is ironic, given that you are removing yourselves from the most powerful decision-making bodies in the entire planet in order to take back control. Yeah. They then spent two years negotiating a new relationship with the EU, which, um, as we saw from the vote on um, on Tuesday, nobody likes. Um <laughs> And so, you, I mean, you, you've had all the people who voted for Brexit. You got a Brexit deal; it means you have less control. So that deal got basically obliterated in Parliament, yeah. lost by over two hundred votes, I, by more, by a bigger margin than even the sort of number ten were spinning in order for it to look good. Afterwards, they were saying one eighty, mm. uh, and it was even more than that. Which is insane, um, yeah. because you've got it's the biggest parliamentary defeat in British history. Yeah. And so now, what do we do? Um, so we want to hear from you because today we're going to be talking about education. So if you want to get involved in the conversation, tweet us at Fubar Radio, and you can even call in at zero three three zero two two three zero two hundred. We're in a bit of a mess because after the deal went down, I've got to hand it to Theresa May. I, I don't like Theresa May, <laughs> in, like in any way at all, but. 
after she lost by just completely e- epically, she basically said um, if the opposition would like to table a motion of no confidence, uh, we'd be happy to d- debate that tonight. Like, that's basically her saying, come at me, bro, to Jeremy Corbyn, yeah. at which point he then had to table a motion of no confidence, uh, basically to say, let's have a, a general election. So th- I, I think he was going to anyway, to mm. be honest. Mm. So by saying, come at me, at least she sort of takes the initiative. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think, I mean, the word was that he was going to table a motion of no confidence right after the vote was lost anyway. Exactly. And so he tried for general election. And now what are we at, what are we at now? I mean, she, that, that, general, that motion of confidence failed. So now on Monday, they have to present a new idea for what they're going to do with Brexit. And then... Uh, that can be amended, which means that Parliament could, in theory, say, all right, we have fucked up this whole Brexit thing. We have a couple of options. None of them are good in terms of Brexit. Let's put that to the people. They could put people's vote in that legislation on, on Monday. That is, that is an option. Um, what do you think should happen? Um, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a puzzle with moving pieces, so it's impossible to say what will happen ultimately because... Mm. If one thing happens, it makes another thing impossible, yep, if yep. that makes sense. Um, where we are now is basically uh, 24th of June 2016, <laughs> only with less two and a half less, less years to do this. Yeah. Um, because what should have happened then is Parliament should have gotten together and said, so the vote is to leave. How do we interpret that? What mm. do we mean by leave? Have come to a consensus to make sure that whoever went to negotiate with the EU came back with a plan that had support from Parliament. Instead, what happened was everyone else was cut out of the process. Mm -hmm. Theresa May basically anointed herself the ultimate fucking uh, interpreter of what the people voted for. Um, And we've ended up now in a situation that her interpretation of what people voted for is very few people's interpretation of what they did vote for, mm-hmm. both in Parliament and for if the polls are right out in the country, her deal has very little support out there in public anyway. So where do we go from here? Um, it is imperative, I think, to, to stop no deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, n- not only from a Remainer point of view, but also in order to find a solution. I think it's impossible to come to a sort of compromise with a gun to your head. Mm. It is, you know, the two things are mutually exclusive. You cannot negotiate in in good faith while you're telling the other person, and if you don't, by the way, we're all going to die. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, Boris Johnson gave a speech next to some JCB truck this morning, Mm. um, and he took some questions afterwards, and, and he seemed to imply that Theresa May just needs to bluff harder I mean, that, that, that's basically the reading. <laughs> if you cut through all the shit that, you know, the, the rhetorical flourish in there, mm. what he's saying is we need to look like we mean no deal more than them and then mm. they will come and talk to us. Yeah. Why? Because no sane nation would let no deal happen. So what he's saying is let them be the adults in the room. Mm. We can threaten to hold our breath until we burst. <laughs> And eventually they will give us some smarties. I mean, it's a toddler approach to politics. Mm. But this whole thing has been a toddler approach to politics from start to finish. There's a lack of mature people on the front benches for both sides. I mean, I've I've often, I mean, I'm not sure you may may have seen there's a film called In Bruges, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> where there's that scene where Colin Farrell's trying to wants to kill himself and he's holding a gun to his head, and then his partner says, "If you shoot yourself, I will shoot you." And it's sort of that weird situation <laughs> where. <laughs> <laughs> like, what yeah. is the point in threatening a no deal, which you know the other side no harms you more than them? And also, which they know we're not ready for. Yeah. <laughs> so ultimately, we're still relying on them for some kind of extension, for some kind of transitional period, mm. even if we go for no deal, yeah. because we just haven't got our shit together. In so many ways, I couldn't even start to explain medicines, radioactive isotopes, yep. the legislation that needs to go through. In so, and those are only the ways we've predicted, mm. by the way. There will be a thousand different things that go wrong that we haven't predicted. Well, given that this show is about education, let's, go, let's walk through it and no deal step by step. Okay. So right now we do half of our trade with the EU, more or less. We get a third of our of our food from the EU, more or less. And a lot of it comes through the port of Dover. Yeah. Um, and the reason why it can come through quickly without any real delays is because the laws are the same on either side of the border. Yeah. So you don't need to check products. You don't need to stop them to, to put tariffs on them. If a thing is coming from the EU, it just goes through. It basically. just goes through. So what happens if you have to start checking products? Uh, what happens, what happens if, if, you, if you have to stop putting, stopping each lorry and making sure you put tariffs on it? That will create, that will add time yeah and then that mean and, and time is money and that and therefore it means that hard to get into shops it makes it cost more to get into shops and not only is there is the, is the supply of food in the in supermarkets slowed down but it also makes it more expensive so, so prices rise and food gets less yeah and and food is not something static so if you mm. slow down for instance the, su- the supply of those bags of salads mm. They just go off. Yeah. You know, they're not going to survive in a truck for a week. Same thing goes with, as you mentioned before, radioisotopes, like, um, which are necessary exactly. for... Very short half-lives. Exactly. And those, those are radioactive materials, which, which basically change over time. They, they can decay, and therefore they're no longer useful. And what we use those for? Chemotherapy. Cancer, cancer treatments. Now... Uh, kind of, and that's and the reason why the, the the regime which basically allows us to get those materials into the country is called Euratom, which is an EU program which basically we decided to put on the um, on the withdrawal letter that says that if so, if there is no deal, that ends, yeah. and basically cancer drugs don't get here. Which I feel isn't what... Well, I don't think that was on the side of the bus in 2016. No, so, yeah. it wasn't on the side <laughs> We won't be able to help you if, you're, if you've got cancer. Well, I mean, it, so like I said, I don't think there is such a thing as no deal, mm. actually, because it couldn't rationally happen. Mm. No one would do that. Mm. Uh, so what we're talking about is about a managed no deal, mm. uh, which is basically relying on the European Union to facilitate the UK doing the maximum harm to the European Union, which seems to me a problem. Because <laughs> yeah. that's what, you know, what we're saying is, give us a little bit of time mm. to get our stuff together and then we'll shoot you. <laughs> you know, yeah, and any sensible uh, negotiating side on the other side mm. would say, no, you have to decide now. If it's no deal, go for no deal, knowing we can't. Yeah. Otherwise... You have to either find some other sort of deal or cancel Brexit. Yeah, I mean, all these people talking about manage no deal or we'll sort something out. They're talking about a deal. They, uh, a lot of these no deal plans are saying, well, we'll agree this, we'll agree this, we'll agree this. No, if you say no deal, it means you haven't agreed anything. Yeah. And that means goats and monkeys crazy. We've got um, uh, Daniel Rush on Twitter, at Lanks Oatcake, who says, guys, if there's to be a second referendum, what should the que- what would the question be? Is it, it has to be fair as it has to show that... 
we all want some kind of compromise to move on. Everything must be possible. What would you put on the ballot paper in the case of a referendum? Um, okay, so the straightforward thing to put on there is a sort of no Brexit, no deal Brexit, and then a, a, a deal Brexit in between, maybe mm. Theresa May's deal or some kind of softer Brexit. The problem with that is that three-way referenda are really difficult. Mm. They're, they're really difficult to sort out. So you could do a, what's called a Condorcet one, or you could do a staged one like they do in France with a presidential election, mm. where basically the first Sunday you present people all the options for president, and then the next Sunday yeah. there's the remaining two go up against each other. So it could be something like that. But it's difficult. Um, I think ultimately by the end of this process, only one option will have survived. It will mm. either be a deal or no deal. Yeah. So I think actually events will solve that for us in that what we will have at the, at the end of the day, what will be on the table is either no deal or no Brexit. That's mm. my that's just my sense of it. My sense of it is that as you narrow it down, mm. there will, you know, Theresa May's deal will either gain enough support to make it a viable choice to put to the people mm. or it will not, in which case it will be no deal. And then the, the other option will be remain in both of those cases. I just find it insane to put no deal on the, t on the ballot paper. I get the, the idea that you need yeah. to uh, you need to make Brexit voters feel like they have an option that they could even they could stomach on, on the ballot paper. But I mean, in 2016, every single Brexit campaigner said we get a better deal with the EU. Nigel Farage said it, Boris Johnson said it, um, the Daily Mail, the Telegraph. This idea of no deal was not what you were sold. In fact, anybody who said we might not get a deal will be termed Project Fear, or you're, or you're just scaremongering. There's no way we leave with no deal. Absolutely. So, I did a big collection of all their quotes from the time saying, mm -hmm. oh, we can sort out a trade agreement over a coffee in <laughs> exactly. an afternoon. Um, you know, of course, people were sold a deal and they mm -hmm. were told a deal would be really easy mm -hmm. and it would be really great. And yep. there would be no downsides, mm -hmm. only upsides. We all know that. The problem is, where where is the public now? Mm -hmm. There's a, a kind of sunk cost fallacy working at full pelt yep. you know where because you committed to this thing yeah. you're now you people are now doubling down and it's happening on the remain side as well by the way mm. if on the 24th of june someone had told me as a remainer not just a remainer as a as an eu migrant mm. that 5248 means we have to go to some sort of norway situation mm. i would have probably accepted it mm. i would have probably said, okay, that seems fair. Mm. And I think it would have been agreed with EU and passed through Parliament, by the way, in a jiffy. Mm. The problem is the, the sort of extreme wing of the Brexiters overreached hugely at the time. Mm. And they thought, no, we're going to get our sort of dream uh, chaotic capitalist, yep, yep, yep. you know, people eating rats on a stick <laughs> scenario. Let's go for it. Um, and I think Remainers need to be careful now not to do the same. I mm. really do mean that, even though I passionately believe in uh, remaining a part of the European Union. I think it needs to uh, we need to have a conversation, a, 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 an adult conversation with the other side that says, mm. OK, so how can we now find a 5248 compromise, mm. given that the politicians have failed to find that 5248 compromise. And if that is something around immigration rules, reform in the EU, mm. 
if that is some a, a, a sort of a charter that says government will make an effort to predict migration movements more accurately and put more GP practices and more mm. housing, you know, because all these things are quite predictable. Mm. When you pump X amount of billion into, uh, uh, you know, the Midlands powerhouse or yep. whatever they're calling yep. it, you know that you're aiming to create jobs for X number of people. Yep. And you know you're going to, to need X number of GP practices, X number of hospitals, roads, rail. Yep. You, all these things are predictable, but no money goes into them. Mm. You just create the jobs and then trust the market to do its thing. And the market never really does its thing. Yeah. So... I, I think we I think it's it's for the person in the stronger position, for the side in the stronger position to reach out to the other side and be gracious. And I think because remainers are now in a stronger position, that's what mm -hmm. it feels like to me. It feels like the tide has turned. I think now would be an appropriate time for us to be gracious and reach out to the other side mm -hmm. and say, you know, why did you vote how you voted? No. And if there is an, another people's vote, how can I convince you to vote remain, mm. but, m you know, make a pledge to you, make a pact with you that we will address the things that bug you? On that particular last point, that is exactly spot on. Because um, as for how we move forward, as, as I said before, the, the main reason why people voted for Brexit, forget the take back control, blah, 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 blah. The main motivation behind that vote was about regional inequality. It was about the fact that the West, Westminster does not care about places like Hull, Sunderland, Swansea, Birmingham. They don't care. And so if you live in an area like that, you wanted things to change, you wanted things to get better. So what we need to do, the pledge that we can make from one side to the other is we have recognized that the status quo is not okay. Yeah. We have recognized that we need to invest in those areas to create the jobs that you need. We have recognized... And it, it's we have recognized that the EU needs to reform yeah. and democratize. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, I think there is appetite for that. At the well, moment. I mean, the, the EU is constantly reforming. I mean, I used to work for an organization that was called Alter EU Alliance for Lobbying, Transparency and Ethics Regulation, because yeah. I know the EU has reforms to make and they're and they're happening. There was a transparency register in 2009. It was, it was modified in 2014. These are all things that the EU is, is, is doing. It's an ongoing process, but we tried to do it all on, on, on 2016 by saying, gun to your head, do this or we leave. Not how it works. That's not no, how 27 no. countries operate. But regarding the compromise between the 52% and the 48%, unfortunately, because it was so binary, we got split along these lines. Yeah. And compromise in terms of... I think the underlying lie of Brexit was that you could you could... As I said, leave the most powerful decision-making bodies in the world and take back control. Yeah. And any compromise that seeks to keep the economic benefits of being in the EU basically means we follow those rules to make trade with the EU easier, but we're no longer at the table deciding what those rules are. Sure. So, and if your aim was to vote for Brexit to take back control, any sort of compromise results in having less control. So you, the only way we can actually find some sort of compromise is, is, is by, by saying, all right, we recognize you have these issues. We will make sure that we will f fix the EU's problems. We will, we will make, I think the, I think the, I think the parliament should be able to, the EU parliament should be able to start the process of legislation. It shouldn't just be for, just for the commission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think the EU parliament is more democratic than the UK parliament because it has proportional representation. Whereas in the UK, we have, um, first past the post, which means it's constituency based, which means that your vote doesn't really count unless you win in your constituency. But I think, the compromise has to come in terms of how we fix the UK more than how we fix the EU. And and also how how we fix our political 
discussion, mm. I think, because that's really at the at the bottom of it all. You know, when when you have a, a, a number of tabloids just constantly screeching immigration, mm. this immigration, that I mean, someone needs to have an adult conversation with the UK population and say, which would you like? You will have to either fund poor people having lots of babies mm. or you will have to accept lots of immigration or you will have to accept a shrinking econ- economy and, to, to the and, falling, and falling standards mm. of living. Because we can't all be a nation of white Christian golf-playing retired people. <laughs> it just doesn't exist. I mean, you know, because after golf, you end up in a care home mm. and someone has to wipe your ass. Yeah. So we need to have that conversation. And it's the people that are against one of those things that are against all of those things. Mm. You find it's the same constituency that hates you know that we're all for the conservatives to child policy mm. that also hate immigration mm. and it's like we, mm. <laughs> listen we need people to work so that you know we can get over this bump in the pe- population of loads of people retiring so you have to pick one or the o- yeah. other we have to either grow people or import people. Yeah. <laughs> there is no other way. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, to be honest, I think immigration was a distraction. I think that the reason why immigration got was such an issue is because those groups that basically say immigration is the devil, immigrants are evil, blah, 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 they, like the EDL, they go to areas that have the least. They go to places like Sunderland and they tap into existing frustrations with the political system that doesn't really work for places like Sunderland. And they'll say, the reason you haven't got anything is because of migrants, minorities, immig- immigrants, blah, 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 blah. They'll point the finger at a group of people that contribute more in tax. Um, they, um, they, make a, they improve our doctor-patient ratio because they're more likely to be doctors than Brits. And so they've, they've said that the problem is other people who don't have as much as, uh, well, who don't have a lot either, rather than the system that basically doesn't care about people, about people who don't have a lot. I mean, I think it was a lightning rod for a, a whole load of stuff because it was a deliberate fog, you know. At the time, you had a sort of Islamist extremists mm. running people over on, on Westminster Bridge mm. and stabbing people in Borough Market. And I don't think it's a coincidence that a leaflet went out that had a big red arrow from Turkey mm. to the UK. And the only other countries that were marked on that map were Syria and uh, Iran. Yeah. You know, it, it, they piggybacked the, the immigration issue in order to get their vote over the line. Because actually... Historically, Euroscepticism was never about leaving the European Union. It mm. was about leaving the polit- political institutions and staying in the single market. Euroscepticism traditionally has always been about moving to a Norway-type model. Mm. But they knew they couldn't get that over the line because the counter-argument is very easy. You say, mm. well, we will still abide by the rules, yep. but we'll have no seat on the table. Exactly. So that makes no sense. The only thing that could get them over the line was the idea of ending free movement by tying that in with brown people, Muslim people, the, you know, the stranger, the yeah. interloper. And they got them over the line, but having got over the line, that meant no single market. Mm. Because if you exclude freedom of movement, that's that. It, you know, that's where all the red lines come from. Yeah. And so we've now ended up in this position where people have to accept one or the other. They have to accept either a drop in living standards, and I wouldn't have, 
I wouldn't have much to say about that if that's genuinely people's informed choice mm. to say, let the economy shrink, let us become an agrarian society, I will grow <laughs> turnips in my garden. If that's genuinely the majority view, mm. there's nothing you can say to yeah. that. But it needs to be an informed view. Mm. It can't be that I'm being promised, you know, I'm going to be showered with gold mm. and then I end up being showered with shit. Yeah. And I yeah. instead, I insist, no, no, it's gold. Look closely. <laughs> no, really. Mm, gold. <laughs> Um, or as one as one last final point, you said um, recently that it was completely. I think in the in the in the, in the process of the no confidence motion, whilst they were debating it, they said that business leaders were more scared of um, a Corbyn a Corbyn oh prime minister than than, than 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 Brexit. What what would you say about that? It's bullshit. It's such obvious bullshit. There's hmm. no there is no chance. It's just a tiny minority. Listen, I gathered just four headlines. Hmm. Just from yesterday, this is just from yesterday, mm. housing market, worst outlook for 20 years. Mm. Work halts on Wilfer nuclear plant as Hitachi struggles with mm -hmm. funding amid Brexit Did, kerfuffle. Yep. Phillips to close Suffolk factory, putting four th 430 jobs at risk. Government calls up British army reservists to help prepare for no deal. This was just yesterday. So you can close your eyes. Mm. And try and suggest that none of this is to do with Brexit, <laughs> that all of it would have been all right if I had believed a little bit harder yep. in, in the rainbow. But the truth is, this catastrophe is unfolding right now. Day after day, businesses are making decisions which will make this country poorer. And we need to either stop it right away or come up with a plan to minimize the impact. Excellent. Thank you very much, Alex. You're very welcome. Um, and I'll hope we see you soon. <laughs> My view is very much, yes, let's have some votes now on the alternatives that are available. Let's get on with that. And when all of those fail, let's be very clear, get it back to the British people and let them decide. Absolutely, we should do it. And it, it can win when we've exhausted all the other options. We can do that very quickly. Jeremy Corbyn's got to stop messing about and absolutely be true to his party's conference policy and he's got to back a people's vote if he backs it. I think enough of my colleagues will come on board because they know it's the only alternative, it's the only way through. Because if we don't, we'll have people like Boris Johnson going around talking a whole load of nonsense about being able to find some magic deal that will get through the Commons. He's talking crap. Sorry, um, but you know, we've got to, for all, everybody now has got to be proper grown-ups and responsible and they've got to put their national interest first and the national interest is we need the only way is to get it back to the British people and let them decide and when they've made a decision that is the end of it. I hope, I really do hope that the House of Commons decides to kick this government out and the SNP will be part of that but if it doesn't I think the pressure then is on Jeremy Corbyn and Labour to make its position on a second referendum clear. Do you think that a referendum might actually be the only way that your side will be able to get another chance at the Brexit that you want? I, I don't know is the answer to that. None of us quite know where the cards are going to fall with us. I think a second referendum would be, you know, one talks about divisive, I mean, a, a genuinely divisive thing in this country, a bad thing in this country. Uh, but I do begin to think uh, that it's what Parliament in the end may force. What would your question be in a second referendum? Well, I think it has to be almost a repeat of the first one, because what else can it be? You're listening to Femi on FUBAR Radio. Welcome back to The Floor is Yours. I'm here joined by Yasmin Ab Abdelmajid. Uh, I'm here with Hannah, Hannah Witten and Johnny Berlino. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hey. 
<laughs> so, Hannah is a YouTuber who um, regularly talks about things that I don't often get the chance to talk about when I'm <laughs> in the middle of Brexit. Uh, sex education, for example. Yes. What would you say is the biggest thing that's missing from that discussion? The biggest thing that's missing? Um, in terms of, like, in schools In schools, stuff? yeah. Um, I think pleasure. I think, like, yes. We, yeah. <laughs> yes! Someone needs to I think that schools do an okay, decent job of, like, these are the facts of life, mm. and uh, this is how you put on a condom, and, like, these are STIs, and yeah. how you prevent them. But there's no, like, relational stuff mm. of, like, how, like, how, it's all, like, these are the things that you need to prevent because sex can cause unwanted pregnancies and, yeah. and STIs. But, like, actually, like, what about the good stuff? <laughs> so you're saying that if we changed our education minister, maybe men would be, men would be better in bed? I mean, that is... <laughs> that is I think there's a long, 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 long way to go yeah. for men to be better in bed just there generally. Was, there was lots of steps in between and then you got, and you got to that conclusion. But sure... <laughs> I think one of the difficult things is the uh, the curriculum's actually deliberately fairly vague on these things. Mm. And there's a lot of... Uh, I think people don't realise that teachers have a lot of agency. So in some schools that will be the case. And in some schools you have amazing teachers who are yeah. totally able to deal with this. Um, so it's always a problem just sort of jumping, like throwing the whole education system in one basket with these kinds of things. Yeah. Um, but generally, I think you're right. There can be lots more about relationships and joy and these kinds of things. And the... Um, new curriculum is going to be coming in in September 2020 mm. so that will be interesting because again the guidelines for that are, are similarly vague <laughs> and so it, again it will be a case of like um, school by school and it's unclear whether or not um, there'll be any specific like funding or training for like for teachers because not every teacher mm. can deliver good sex education yeah no, that's um, definitely true so I've delivered that was that was experience I've delivered some very bad sex education Johnny Berlin is a teacher himself that's more about yourself yeah so I'm not in the classroom anymore but I used to be a science teacher so I would teach sort of general science and then specialising in physics for the older year groups which meant I often had to teach the sex ed lesson to the year sevens which was always hilarious fun but so the first time I ever had to take one, I thought it would be great to start, like, to show sex as being this totally natural thing yeah. in the natural world. So I decided to start with a video of a praying mantis having sex. Oh I, don't, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen this. But as soon as, as, soon as the, the copulation has happened... The, the female eats the male Yeah, she just bites yeah. his head off. Yeah. So, I, mean, um, I, th I think well, that, that's a good way to make sure, avoid pregnancy. Uh, yeah, it was a different way of saying no, kids. I, I think, think the carefully. point is that they have sex, she gets pregnant, she no longer needs him, and then bites yeah. his hair. Oh, boy, bye. Like, boy, bye. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it was also a way of saying to the boys in the class, yeah. uh, you know, be, be very afraid. Be very <laughs> afraid. Uh, yeah. uh, well, um, let, let me just embarrass myself um, now. Uh, Hmm. Uh, when I was 11, uh, we had our sex education um, class, and because my mum is uh, from Nigeria, when she gave a, gave me that the talk, um, mm. she wasn't exactly, let's say, accurate in her uh, term <laughs> terminology. And so when she always used to um, talk about how I came out of her, she'd say, <laughs> um, <laughs> my bottom. 
no. So, so when I'm in uh, class with uh, my all my friends around me, um, and they're just they're, they're showing the diagrams about how things work, uh, I put my hand up and say, "Okay, this is all very well and good, but where's the like link between the ovaries and the anus?" <laughs> Um, I mean, in front of all everybody. Questions, <laughs> oh. good all questions. Good question. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that doesn't feel like a good question, though. <laughs> no. You were clarifying. You were clarifying. Well, yeah. from the teacher's point of view, that is a good question because what you've done is very clearly highlighted a big misconception that you have. There's an opportunity to put you right. From your point of view, mm-hmm. I will admit that was not a great question. <laughs> uh, you know. the, I mean, the other really interesting thing about this is that. If people don't, if kids don't get sex education in school, they're going to get it from somewhere else. And mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. the that's the thing that we're forgetting is that like, I mean, I never got any sex education. I went to a Muslim primary school. No way was anyone, no no Muslim imam was going to like give a sex ed class, right? Mm-hmm. And then a Christian high school, and it was assumed that by then you'd already kind of done it. Um, and so, in Christianity, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, so awkward. <laughs> and so, um, and so, like, I kind of like grew up n- with you know never having any exposure to formal sex education. And then, where do you get your information from? Me, like so many of the boys around me, you get your education from like media and porn mm-hmm. and like genuinely. I remember I worked with a guy. I used to be an engineer, work on oil rigs. And he was like, oh, this is my third computer this year because I keep getting viruses from porn. And mm. I was like, great, that's, I don't know that's why That's like you a whole different kind of STI. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and, he, and I was like, why do you watch it so much? And he was like, well, how do you think I'm going to learn skills? And I was Aww. like, that's really Ooh. problematic. But not an unusual or yeah. unique problem. Yeah. Genuinely, right? Yeah. And most pornography is not, like, centering the female. It's mm-hmm. not... Um, it's not centering like pleasure in a way that's healthy. I think quite often it doesn't um, demonstrate consent in a way that, like you know, we've got all these conversations around Me Too and mm-hmm. yeah. and and I'm having conversations with my guy mates and they're like, well, wait. of course you have to convince people to sleep with you. Wait, 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 oh. so, wait, wait. So, so <laughs> you, 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 you're, 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 what, what I'm hearing is Pornhub isn't where you get feminist progressive values. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, if, if I, I'm gonna take a pun and be like, probably, yeah. <laughs> There is actually some really great feminist porn out there. Yeah, um, that you have to pay for. But you have to pay for it. Pay yeah. for your porn. <laughs> I mean, hey, is this the message you're trying to get them to spread in schools? <laughs> just, uh, which I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable if it is. I just want to I, clarify. I am happy to sit on my soapbox and say, pay for the porn you want to see in the world. <laughs> that is, that is that's amazing. Message. I think that's a really uh, bold message and, and strongly supported. Yeah. Um, I love that. Yeah. I mean, I think it, you you get issues, I and mean, once again, it's like this kind of con- context of the school. Mm. Some schools are religious schools. Some schools have yeah. teachers that don't want to talk about this stuff. So you you can't put these kind of blanket rules yeah, for yeah, how yeah. sex education is going to work. You also have kids who don't want to hear that. Sometimes mm. it's really difficult for kids at different ages. Yeah. So so you know, I've taught those lessons, and you have some kids who are not ready. And they're sitting there just cringing away, not wanting to be there. So what do you think, like, what do, what do schools do? Or how do, we, how do we improve the general kind of understanding around sex if, like, schools can't have a, a blanket directive? That's a good question. I, I think everyone's got a role to play. I mean, schools are part of that. Um, mm. Science lessons in schools take a very particular scientific approach. I don't think it's appropriate for, them, for science teachers to be burdened with a kind of a... Pe- 
mm. a more personal and social approach. That's fine, but s- someone has to make that up. Mm. My, my personal view, and I will always go back to this, that there should be a lot more psychology in schools mm. Um, mm. Uh, so, and psychologists working in schools because... Ah. Uh, because they are actually the people who who this stuff should come from. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah I mean, totally. I mean, a lot when there's just a massive gap in terms of actually preparing you for life in school. You, do, you yeah. don't learn. I mean, I've got Princess Seven Bunny on Twitter saying, "I think there should be more about politics at school, also about home finances, relationships, and mental health." Talking um, talking about secondary schools. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one hundred percent. I mean, I I think a lot of where where we are right right now. We wouldn't be here if maybe education might have been a bit better. I mean, one of the reasons, one of the most biggest privileges I've had in the process of this whole Brexit thing is that I went to Northern Ireland, I I went to the border regions, I spoke to farmers on the border, and I learned more about Mm. Ireland and its history in, I think, a three-day period than I ever learned at school. I don't think I learned anything about Ireland in school. There you go. Um, I mean, that's wild. Yeah, no. like as a non, like per, as a person not from the UK, it's. I feel like I know more about Ireland sometimes and the and the troubles than people that have like all the empire, for example. It's not taught. We get mm-hmm. World War Two, World War One, and that is it. We, Ireland oh, you're lucky, come... lucky if you get the Tudors as well. Yeah. <laughs> well I don't, history teachers are quite good at kind of. Um, updating and history and examples sort of people working for examples at history they're quite good at updating the curriculum to make it a bit more relevant history for what's going on now um, and I suppose there might be an issue whereby Ireland has been pretty peaceful for a while which mm. is a great thing um, which makes it kind of less necessary for students to understand when I was in school that wasn't the case and we learned about Ireland yeah mm. right um, I mean and I think yeah. what you do is you raise an interesting point right which is kind of around what there is so much that we could learn right yeah. and every teacher's got to make a judgment call about what they teach mm. um, but actually if but it's not i think the, the the interesting thing about living in a world where we're now like online and everyone has access to knowledge very quickly mm. the difference is we don't need to be taught the knowledge because you can look anything up really quickly mm. we need to be also taught how to process that knowledge yeah. how yeah. to critically think about what's going on how to be able to be like this sounds legit this sounds rubbish and yeah. you know you talk about well maybe we wouldn't be in the brexit situation if people were more quote-unquote educated i don't know what education means in that context because people have different ideas of what education is i did engineering i never studied i didn't study history i didn't study politics i didn't study any social sciences Mm. right i was a physics chemistry girl like from grade eight (laughs) right all the way through but my parents being african we talked about politics every night at the dinner Mm. table right and so i from a very young age learned about politics and learned how to think about what was going on in the news and so on and so i think there's a broader question of well, not everything can be learned in school. We only have a certain yeah. amount of hours. What is the rest of society doing to educate? How are we having conversations with younger people? Yeah. How are we bringing people into what sort of conversations are we having on social media? And are we taking that seriously and responsibly? And where are young people hanging out and having conversations? And how do we make sure that they've got some direction? Because I think you can't expect teachers to do everything. I, I do hear you in terms of you can't teach every single aspect of world history in school. However, if you, if, you, if you simply accept that you only teach history from the British perspective, i.e. you only cover the Tudors, World War I and World War II, then you, t- you create that sort of feeling that other countries don't have their own history. I mean, even yeah. Ireland is literally right next to us. We don't know the history of Ireland as a, gen- as a population. Mm. Um, let talk, talk less of the history of, of, of country, European countries or African countries or, 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 or Asian countries. If you think that 
if, if they're only this thing that you really come across when mm. you when you when you're growing up and you don't recognize that they have that same history it's one of the main, one of the problems with um how we don't learn other languages is that we then see people that speak that language as just basically these talking heads that make funny sounds. If you don't really fully appreciate these person, these people have languages that make sense, they have these histories, they have they're independent societies. Mm. You don't really you're going to see people coming here as an invasion of people you don't right. really, yeah, really yeah, get because yeah, you don't get the history of why they're coming yeah. or something like that. I mean, if 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 you knew that the that basically we colonized part of Ireland and we and that the reason why the violence more or less stopped was because of an agreement which basically kept an open border. You would never do anything that could risk to that. disrupt that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you would not vote Brexit if you knew that three thousand yeah. six hundred people died during during the troubles mm. because of that hard yeah. border. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, so there's a funny thing going on here because actually no school kid who was being taught this stuff voted on Brexit. Of course, it's this thing mm. that happens further down the line. Now, schools can't teach everything, but what they can do, and what they really should be doing, I think, fundamentally, is giving people the skills to learn for themselves mm. and the curiosity yeah. to want to find out. Because mm. when that happens, the moment Brexit hits the news, mm. you have a whole load of people who know how to find really well-researched mm. documents online, read them, and have. And that's how you have a balanced opinion. And um, the the one of the issues that we have is we're still kind of, there's a lot of people stuck in this kind of Victorian view of school mm. of what we do is we have these empty vessels come in and we just we fill them, them up with up, the right yeah. knowledge mm. and and then if we you've done your job, probably them. they go out and they can take over the world um, and it's really Victorian Like a thinking. factory line. Exactly. And yeah. um, and there's there's a huge movement of people now saying this is not good enough, this is not how schools should work. Schools, I mean, kids say themselves, they want to have um, stuff that is really grounded in reality. They want to learn about tax. They want to learn about sex education. Oh, yeah, they want everything, <laughs> that tax and sex. That's what they tax want, right? Um, the, but the... Uh, yeah. But it's really hard to teach in this kind of really inquiry-led, why don't you just go out the way, the world, and do a project and find something out, and we're going to learn things. It's difficult for teachers. Mm. What do you think of those, um, like I've heard about these schools um, that, like, the kids can kind of do whatever they want, and, like, the, the classes aren't compulsory, and apparently, eventually, all of the kids, like, will go out and, like, eventually have fun, learn. have yeah. fun, yeah. and, like, <laughs> skive and, like, whatever, but it's not skiving because they don't have to go to class. But yeah. eventually, on their own accord, they'll be like, oh, actually, I want to learn. Okay, do you know. mean like Montessori schools, like primary schools? No, I think generally? I think there's like maybe a handful in the UK, and it's the, like it's yeah. quite hippie, but they're also private schools. The Finnish right, yeah. model is so, quite like that as well. Like in the yeah. Scandinavian models, like they they kids play for like until yeah. they're like seven or eight, right? They don't do any formal structured classes because it's like so much you learn so much through play and kind of that that social <laughs> interaction, blah blah blah. <laughs> you know, the interesting thing about that is. I don't think anybody who has gone to, like, a formal... Like, if you think about the parents making the choice to send their, their kids there, my parents would be like, oh, that's really lovely, would never send me there, <laughs> right? Because it's all it's also... There's so much in school that's about parents projecting, you know, their values on their kids and, you know... Y- like your value as a parent is how well your kid is doing in school and so mm. on and so it's actually quite tough to yeah. change things too much from what parents will oh yeah, yeah. parents don't like you changing stuff <laughs> if you go and I've done this lovely project where in science what we're doing is we're uh, going out gardening and we're not <laughs> writing anything down we're just reflecting on it and asking whatever questions we like 
like that would be amazing for engagement they'd learn loads but parents would be like what's in their exercise book I want to see something I want the homework you know, and yeah. it's a big problem but, you know I mean, how are they going to pass exams yeah but, but teachers teachers are definitely struggling I mean we, we know we know how, how poorly funded schools are we yep. know that um, uh, for, what is it in London four, four out of more than four out of ten teachers um uh, quit the profession within five years of qualifying. Uh-huh. Uh, National Education Sur- uh, Education Survey says that 80% of classroom teachers have seriously considered leaving the profession in the past te- 12 months due to workload. I mean, you used to be a teacher. Yep. What is causing this? Um, so, there's, I mean, there's a number of things. I, I, so, the first thing that should be pointed out is that the first two or three years of being a teacher are the hardest because you're doing everything for the first time. So there's a lot of teachers out there who are completely overwhelmed and there's not support for them to realise that if you get through year three, Mm. you're probably actually going to feel quite comfortable and then it's a much easier ride. Mm. (laughs) Okay, Um, So that's the first thing. And and we hemorrhage a lot of teachers before they get to that point, which is a real shame. Mm. Um, the, The other thing is that we in this country are more obsessed by assessment Mm -hmm. and not just of of students of teachers as well so there's so much paperwork to do um, there's so much marking just and you know we have this crazy thing where teachers give up their weekends to mark books with stuff that students are never going to read because they're bosses, they're people in senior leadership are saying, we need to see this in the exercise books, because someone said it helps. Right? So, mm. so there's this enormous pressure on teachers to do all this extra work. I think I, when, I was, when I was working, I, I re- I, I, it was so overwhelming that I calculated how many hours I was doing over the year, because people always say, you get holidays, right? Mm. As a teacher, at least you get holidays. Um, so I was working something like a 60-week year, even if I, like, without yeah. the holidays. Oh. It was, I mean, it was insane. It was insane. And you're going on holiday when it's peak season, so your yeah. holidays are expensive. Uh, yeah. So it's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know what? The beach is a nice place to do your marking. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, the other thing is, is like, the uh, I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but the salaries for teachers aren't the same as the salaries of working in the city. No, mm. right. Vastly so, so you're not necessarily getting, like if you're thinking I want a good job where I'm going to be able to, you know, buy a house eventually and support my family and whatever. It's tricky on a teacher's salary right it's very hard yeah so so there isn't so there's a loss of incentive there to stay in the profession because you can just go into human resources Mm. and earn more which is utterly insane given that if any job drives the economy it's teachers totally (laughs) yeah probably (laughs) i think that's quite a hard thing to show but probably to a certain extent yeah we're just gonna make all of these like vast assumptions we're just gonna make all these leaps and be like yes Change the education <laughs> minister so we can all have better sex. Yep. Teachers drive the economy. I think, I mean, yeah, I, would, but yeah. I do think though there is something in that because almost every person I know who's like you know got some really strong passion um, in a particular career has had a teacher in there, particularly in high school somewhere, who's been like, yes, you can do this. Like I know for me, I had a tech, like design and tech teacher when I was fourteen who was like, yeah, you can build stuff really well, and I was like, oh my god, I'm going to be an engineer, right? And like that, that like one or two comments mm-hmm. that that teacher made completely changed my life and so you're really impressionable at that mm. age like 13 to 15 mm-hmm. right mm. um, and so teachers like and they have all of these minds who are like impressionable and willing to listen so yeah they exactly. have a huge impact it's about, it's about forming the skills that will then allow you to then contribute to the economy when you're when you're older yeah there's so. a study going on at the moment actually that's um 
I've just taken a bunch of scientists and asked them about their educational experience. It's amazing no one has done this before, mm. to work out what educational <laughs> experience leads to someone becoming a scientist. Yeah. Mm. Um, but in a huge amount of cases, the teacher is, there was an inspirational teacher. Yeah. Yeah. So many, so many opportunities. Bless. But there's a, there is good news. The mm. government, are, like, and it's rare that we get to say this about our government. Good but news. The, yeah, the government are actually putting some effort into keeping teachers in the profession. Um, so they're developing a programme by where um, teachers are going to be way more supported through their first two years of teaching rather than just the first year of teaching, which will help massively. Um, and um, they're thinking about more about pay progression. You can now become sort of a chartered teacher. So there's this kind of prestige thing oh, as nice. well, which is really good yeah. because then you're forced to take your profession more seriously. And yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah. something that will be good. Speaking of teachers, we've got a caller called Mr. Davies. He's an ex-teacher from Cardiff. Mr. Davies, Indeed. how are you doing? Hi, I'm fine. It's Femi, is it? I'm yeah. speaking to Hi, yes, Femi. Yeah. Yes, I'm an ex-teacher. I've, I, I'm, I'm retired now, and you're, uh, the young person I've just spoken to, Abigail, um, in, your, in your production studio there, I think, is an ex-student from my school. Oh, oh, wow! wow. <laughs> so there amazing. you go. Amazing. In that small world. That's amazing. Um, so what would you say needs to change in the, in the way we either fund education, the way teachers are treated, or what, you need to change in the, what needs to change in the education system? Well, I mean, in Wales we've got this... Um, uh, what, what's frustrated me over the years, I suppose, has been the fact that education um, uh, planning and curriculum planning and funding has all been uh, d done from the top down, from government down. In Wales, we do things a little bit more differently, uh, where we've got a view with regard to uh, school autonomy, if you like, and, and uh, where leadership in schools and pupils in schools, uh, by and large, um, so it works from the classroom out to a degree. Hmm. And we're in the middle at, at, at the moment of a new curriculum plan, um, and it's it, you know I've been through so many curriculum plans over my my, my career, <laughs> as, as, as you can imagine. The one the one thing I would I would say, and, uh, and I, I, you know I think this might be my brief this afternoon. Um, for, for any young people out there thinking of career planning, and and, and that was my uh, that was my thing really, career planning, working with young people, particularly in the sixteen to eighteen age group. Mm who are planning and thinking about careers, um, one thing I would say to them with absolute honesty, is it's, it, it's a role and, a, and, a, and a, a profession that I would wholeheartedly recommend. And if I had my time again, it's what I would do again. Well, uh, I, 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 I can, I can uh, wholeheartedly agree with that. Excellent. It's a great thing to do, mm. teaching. That's really heartwarming. Yeah. You don't come home upset, do you? No, no. Uh, I'm, I'm a young people um, often take a, ba a bad press. <laughs> Sometimes it's deserved. But in in my career, I work with thousands of young people over over that sort of forty year period. Um, I've got nothing but but admiration for young people, their ambition, their their, their, their enterprise, their eagerness. Um, and uh, if I've played a small part in that uh, in that development then, then then i'm pleased you know it's it's um uh and and teaching for me is um yeah we talk about curriculum and that's absolutely right mm. of, of course you know uh, the, the teachers need to have have uh, an excellent uh, subject knowledge in uh, obviously high expectations naturally mm. um but it's it's what goes on um 
what I suppose you might call the hidden curriculum that's so mm. important. You know, what what young people glean from the um, dare I say the institution that they're learning in. Mm. Um, you know how how teachers deal with young people, um, interpersonal dynamics, yep. and so on. Um, giving them structure, giving them structure, but also autonomy and. Uh, and seeing young yeah. people as, as individuals. Oh, you know? yeah, so that, absolutely. You know, I mean, pastoral care is, is, is essential. I mean, but, but did, regarding the curriculum, do you think that um, the curriculum, generally speaking, prepares kids well enough for issues like what to do about Brexit? <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. We, we do, you know, we, we are working. I mean, I, I, I mean, to talk about Wales as, as, as leading the field is, uh, is a bit presumptuous, but... But, you know, we, we do heavily um, focus upon young people in school having, having uh, input into school structures and, and uh, into, into uh, teacher appointments and so on you mm-hmm. know, through, through the school councils. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you will uh, know this yourself, Femi, from the various schools that you've uh, experienced from, from, from uh, you know, from, from Swansea. I think you were in Swansea for a while, weren't you? And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and and Scotland and so on, and the northeast. Exactly. Um, you know, uh, it's no, we don't prepare them well enough in the formal curricular sense. I would just hope that that, that we do um, encourage them through um, the the hidden curriculum discussion. You know, um, in mm-hmm. things like personal and social education. Um, what I think schools do well, and I'm. I'm, I'm I would say that my school that did this very well was to get young people to look um, to be collaborators, to look outside their their own communities, um, you know, to the wider world. That's what that's what's so sad about Brexit. Um, that, it, that, it, a, that it's shut, shutting down our, our opportunities. And I mean, well, I'm a fa- I'm a father. Mm. I'm a grandfather, and and you know the 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 thought of of young people being thwarted in terms of uh, not being able to maybe uh, cross international borders, study abroad. Yeah, I mean, um, Erasmus, Erasmus was, the, was, the best, was the best time of my entire life. I mean, not just because Eras- things like Erasmus tend to be primarily female, so it was the most romantically complicated year of my entire life. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, but yeah, um, it, was, it was a great year. Um, Mr. Davies, thank you very much for calling. So it's, been great, it's been great to hear, hear from you. Um, no, no problem. Thank you, cheers. <laughs> um, my, I guess my, my question would be, I mean, you, but both of you, both of you have books coming out. Yours is about uh, Yasmin. Yours is about a, a young a young girl come from from Sudan to. Uh, so it's a Sudanese Australian um, girl who has gotten a scholarship to go to a private school, and then uh, essentially she gets bullied by a racist kid. Um, has is put on probation. Essentially, has to prove that she's good enough to be at the school by entering and winning a robotics competition. So how autobiographical is that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> mildly, like people, just, um, people like Yasmin. Layla, the main character's name is Layla. Sounds suspiciously like you. I'm like, no, 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 no her name is Layla. She's a completely different person. Um, but like, it's kind of it's aimed at um, sort of like early teens. And I, I think I decided to write my first book was nonfiction, and I decided to write a fiction book for young adults, essentially because I think it's an age that has such a huge impact or like potential for impact. And also, like, 
I never read a, ki- a book about a kid who was kind of like me, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm massive on representation. And so I think the more stories that we can have that reflect our lived experience, the better. And what's the name of the book? You Must Be Layla. And Must it be comes Layla. out in a couple of weeks. Excellent. Oh, exciting. Uh-huh. Yes. Um, yeah, I've, I'm currently in the process of um, doing my second book, Called the Hormone Diaries. Um, I handed in the first draft last Woo! week. Nice. It's currently in the hands of my editor. Um, it's coming out on the 13th of June. Um, basically, last, no, two years ago, um, I came off the pill, which I'd been on for seven years, and basically documented what happened mm. and like my search for more knowledge around contraception. And so it's about um, everything that I've learned and like periods and contraception and. Um, it kind of uh, encompasses like everything to mm. do with um, all of that good stuff. Which there isn't enough yeah. of, can I just say? It's actually wild how little information there is around contraceptions yeah. and periods. The, like, no. the, the moment world. I started like actively looking into things, mm. I realized how little mm-hmm. <laughs> we all mm. know. And, 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 and by we, I don't just mean like, like us in this room I mean like literally Western everyone. society and even like yeah, yeah. and no, even honestly. scientists like there's no research done in and very little research done into um, a lot of these areas like to the extent where I'd like my first point of call for like um, understanding anything I'd hmm. be like okay NHS website let's go there yeah. first mm. I, tr- I trust this source um, and there'd be like uh, oh, I was trying to find out what, like, why we have PMS. Like, why does yeah. PMS exist mm-hmm. as like a biological thing yeah. that happens mm. to us? Um, and the NHS website is just like, we don't know. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> women say, we, we don't know. But I mean, <laughs> <I'm> like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> but I mean, like, I mean, I know you've, talk, you've often talked about um, IBD and and and, and using using a stoma. I mean, like, one, of my, yeah. one of my one of my closest friends in this world has um, ulcerative colitis UC. Uh, so yeah. uh, that is a is an issue that's quite close to my heart. I mean. You don't you don't get a lot of information about that sort of thing ever in the media. I mean, women's health is super yeah. underfunded, like mm. generally, yeah. like historically, and also mm. most of the research around like has been performed on like white male bodies, and so like mm. it's the, yeah. the standards aren't applicable to black people. They're mm. not especially black women. I remember I mm-hmm. to, sorry to, to no, like, no, piggyback, no. but I spent like two years searching why my numbers on my blood tests were really low, and then I went to a doctor here who was Nigerian, and they were like, mm. "Oh, it's because you're African." Like <laughs> it's actually you know. All all these yeah. other doctors thought it was this like dire problem and they were like oh no it's just North Africans have different I, I, yeah. I had the exact same thing with the size of my heart they thought I had a serious like, oh, cardiomegaly really? problem yeah oh, um, that's because <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. they're just comparing the data to white people which yeah, is the only data that yeah. they have exactly yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and Johnny you use music music to teach people yes that's right um, my, my view is that um, all teenagers uh, in fact, everyone in the world can identify with songs, um, uh, less so with science. So if you <laughs> sing about the science, uh, more Boom. people can understand it. It also has all these other kind of benefits on kind of memory and sort of uh, encoding of information and that kind of thing. Uh, the uh, Stephen Hawking Foundation have just given me a bit of money to make some GCSE <laughs> physics videos. <laughs> so that's cool. Yes. So they'll be out um, sort of late this year. Excellent. Yeah. Well, Johnny Berliner, Hannah Witten, and Yasmin Abdel Majid, thank you very much for uh, being here. And okay. um, this has been The Floor Is Yours. The, the podcast will be available straight after the show. See you next week. Woo! Thank you. You've been listening to a FUBAR Radio podcast. For more information, go to foobarradio.com.